Good evening, world. This is the podcast Has to Fasten, your host, Esther Cattell. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are going over Mitch Horowitz's Miracle Club. And we have made it to Chapter 5, How to Make a Miracle. And yesterday we spent a lot of time really highlighting just how baseline the law of attraction is across all these different uh, substrata of beliefs and opinions and personal experiences what and whatnot. All right, is this one similar underlying set is visualize the end result you want, figure out what it is you want, the end result that you want. Okay, focus on it and then work towards it. That's like near universal. So just, I wanted to point that out once more before we get farther. And we left off yesterday at something I didn't expect to fully, well, I didn't fully expect to find in a book like this. And that is Military Strategy as Self-Help. Where we find out a little bit more about Mitch's background here, which I find fascinating. Especially since where he started to where he is now. Uh, not a path that anybody would have expected him to take. So just, it's a take it with a grain of salt. It's an interesting perspective he puts forth today. It's kind of short. It's only a page and a half and then we get on to something else. I'll let you decide for yourself. It's an interesting bit of history going on here. We'll have discussions. Um, before I go any farther, my shout out to the restaurant industry, all my guys and gals out there in Foodland. Thank you for hanging on. Thank you for still going. Thank you for showing up for work. Even when it seems like nobody else is. I know it's rough out there, and I'm so sorry, but thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for still continuing on, despite what's going on out there. And if you're feeling too stressed out and overwhelmed, go take a walk, take a breath, take a bath, take a shower, take a smoke. But please don't do something you can't take back. Don't quit. Don't quit. Okay, so. <clears throat> Military strategy as self-help. The dynamic I've been describing, focusing and acting on a desire with singular commitment, plays out not only in the lives of individuals, but also in the events of nations and civilizations. We saw this process work historically in America's involvement in Vietnam, though in an inverted form. Early in my career as an editor in the mid-1990s, I had 
I had the privilege of working with Colonel Harry G. Summers, 1932-1999, a decorated Vietnam officer whose book On Strategy is considered perhaps the greatest analysis of why the United States lost in Vietnam. It became kind of a strategy bible among a cohort of young officers in the post-Vietnam era. When I met Colonel Summers, I was working toward establishing myself as an editor of political books, which can make my current role as a historian and publisher of alternative spirituality seem discursive. <clears throat> like lines on a map, however, the curves and switchbacks of a person's life are like the natural contours of any path. Today I see how various aspects of my career converged, even the seemingly diffuse diffuse? Yeah, diffuse. Even the seemingly diffuse fields of military strategy and self help. A blunt and erudite man, Colonel Summers argued that the US Army was entirely capable of winning the war against North Vietnam. None of the opposing circumstances were insurmountable, he wrote. And contrary to popular perception, American forces almost always prevailed on the battlefield, often delivering withering blows that sent the enemy in flight and resulted in territorial gains. So what, from a military perspective, went wrong? The despoiling factor, Colonel Summers maintained, is that the nation's political leadership failed to build moral consensus for the war among the American public. President Lyndon Johnson never asked Congress for a formal declaration of war, which many policymakers at the time viewed as an outdated formality. Without a formal declaration and the political process underscoring it, which required making a case for a war, and framing the attendant stakes and sacrifices. The public as a whole was never truly persuaded. Hence, policymakers lacked the consent and authority to undertake an overwhelming war effort, relying instead on Defense Secretary Robert McNamara's chimerical and failed notion of a limited war. The result was a quagmire and pointless carnage abroad and moral confusion and opposition at home. Year after year, the nation's political leadership authorized the army to, more or less, muddle along in a half-in, half-out effort, which eroded political support and frustrated commanders. Without popular support and a formal war declaration, Colonel Summers wrote, the war never should have been fought to begin with. What works in military strategy is the same as what works in all other areas of life. You must be, as they put it, all in. You must select an ultimate goal to which you dedicate yourself with unreserved commitment. Or don't do it at all. When you decide on your goal, then burn the fleet. Throw yourself into it with totality. Reverse or change plans only when factual evidence or overwhelming circumstance requires it. So, 
just going to point out some things here. Obviously, Vietnam War, how interesting that we go over that when the fall of Afghanistan over the last few days has been compared to Saigon. Um, I find it interesting that he would bring this up. And basically the entire point of this whole story, I mean, there's so many people point out, like, this is the reason why we lost the war, this is the reason why we lost the world. This is the reason. Everybody's got their different opinions and reasons, right? But he does make a very good point. They failed and this could partly be attributed to, um, you know, whatever was going on at the time, I wasn't going to be there or I couldn't be there. I wasn't born yet. Um, some people point to the media wasn't on board. Some people point to, um, politicians weren't on board um but he makes a good point it failed no matter what it is that you point to it failed to evoke a moral consensus the it tore up the country you had uh, anti-war rallies all that kind of thing going on we were split we weren't united against this enemy we didn't see a point to fighting this enemy they hadn't attacked us as far as i can remember then that's just from what I learned in school. So the point he's trying to make here is that just like what happened with Vietnam and the focus was split. All right. You didn't have the entire nation behind that one goal. That's why he said it was inverted when he started it. When he, we saw this process at work historically in America's involvement in Vietnam, though in an inverted form. Instead of being able to marshal all your forces and just really hammer it home and be done with it in as short a time as possible, which ends up with the shortest amount of deaths possible, right? Because you're going through it quickly. You crush all, you know, opposition forces in the quickest time possible. That's what prevents the most deaths. An interesting way for him to put that in here, though. Sorry, not way. What do I want to say? I find it interesting he would include that in a book on self-help. That's, that's an interesting... I understand I can I can kind of understand why he would put that in there but I think he could have made his point better with a different example although I like how he was trying to segue his previous work into this kind of work maybe that's an observation that got him interested in this subject in the first place you never know um so Where were we? So yeah, sign on goal, all in for yourself with totality. So basically, all right, he's trying to explain to you the level of focus or the level of dedication to what it is um, that you need to be going after. Now, if you go back to Mr. Dooley's um, explanation of things in that he was consistent on it. 
Oh, excuse me. Allergies. All right. Um, where was it? Oh yeah, focus. I wouldn't necessarily agree for the for the cause of manifesting that you have to be all out for a goal that you wish to accomplish. Yes, you do. And you have to have the right mindset in approaching and achieving that goal so that you actually attain the goal. All right, we've talked about this so, so much um, that when you start to acquire the mindset of like a multimillionaire or it's a millionaire or multimillionaire or above, you stop looking at obstacles like personal attacks or insurmountable, you know, vehicles. You look at them as teaching moments, you look at them as pivot points, you look at them as, alright, something else is not going to stop me today. Okay. So, you want that mindset in pursuit of a goal. So, you don't necessarily need to be that obsessive when trying to manifest and you're doing your visualizations, like Mr. Dooley said, only five to ten minutes a day, or if you want to split it up to twice, but be careful not to live there, because then you're living in your head instead of reality. So it's just another point out, okay? Just another observation, so use the information how you see fit. So now we are to that one thing. We like to think that we can balance everything in life, and we are, of course, faced with multiple and sometimes shifting demands. You likely want happiness at home, health for yourself and for your family, material comfort for people around you, and so on. These are all sound. But you must take the self-knowledge I've been describing, and accepting that life's needs are multiple, Use it to dedicate yourself to your core aim. One well-selected aim will facilitate the others. Your aim must be specific, concrete, and plain. It must be achievable, even if greatly bold. Beware of aims that are self-contradicting such as traveling to exotic places while also raising young children, or becoming a great leader while also having lots of leisure time. An aim is single-minded. Okay, so why are these contradicting? If I have to explain that one, right? It's not very easy to raise young children while also traveling to exotic places, although I'm sure somebody out there does it. Maybe that's not something that really tickles your fancy and you'd be absolutely screaming at, you, at the sky after like two weeks in. Or becoming a great leader while also having lots of leisure time. Proper leaders don't really have leisure time. That's a schedule in their leisure time. Right, because even when they're taking their leisure time, they're 
thinking about the next thing they're going to be doing or who they need to be helping or the the next day how do they maximize their time they're thinking about that stuff even when they're with their families their time off all right that's why i always ask the question like is being a millionaire something that you actually really want do you want the responsibilities Do you really want the scrutiny of your life that sometimes comes with um, background checks and whatnot on a daily basis? <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Alright. It's things to think about. We all think we want the million dollars, but what we really want is to not have to worry about paying our bills. Right? We don't want to have to worry about the roof over our head getting taken away. Alright, that's where you get that question, if money was no object, what would you be doing? Because the reality is, it gets you to the point of what you think the money actually represents, rather than you trying to chase the money. You like money? Chasing money is fine. But most people... For most people, money is the vehicle that gets them to whatever thing it is they'd rather be doing, want to be doing, um, being that out there and such. Okay? So just so some things to mull over as you're listening. <clears throat> Alright, so we left off. Where was he? So an aim is single-minded. An example of this came to me in 1996, when I met a figure who soon exploded across the political scene. One afternoon, I spoke for several hours with now-Senator Cory Booker, who was then an eager and highly ambitious Rhodes Scholar and student at Yale Law School. Mutual friends told me, you've got to meet this guy, he's going to be president someday. He was earnest but studied, and deeply persuasive. I could see exactly what people meant. Corey quickly rose to become the nationally prominent mayor of Newark, New Jersey, and then a senator and prospective running mate for candidate Hillary Clinton. She chose Senator Tim Kaine. As of this writing in 2017, Corey is on the short list for any executive ticket to emerge from the Democratic Party. You will be able to see for yourself whether he becomes president, a role that Pierce foresaw for him, and that I am certain he foresaw himself while he was in his 20s. Well, we kind of know how that one turned out, didn't we? Some were turned off by Corey's ambition. I was not. He knew precisely what he wanted and possessed the skills, intellect, and drive to attain it. In areas where he was lacking, he was willing to gain the needed skills. He made easy, perhaps too easy, friends in finance, so fundraising was head-started. In short, Corey possessed a hugely ambitious, but also actionable, goal. Hmm. Eh. I mean, now we all know how that really turned out. Cory Booker really didn't get a very large number of the percentage for the primary. Right? Just didn't cinch it. So, we'll have to see if he remains in politics. Um, 
he's become quite the divisive fixture, uh, figure up in uh, up on Capitol Hill. So, I don't usually like mixing politics with self-help because everyone's got their personal brand of um, beliefs and right now they're very, very diametrically opposed. So I try not to bring politics up at all. So my apologies if uh, you were hoping for that not to be here. I'm just reading the book. Take it as you like. Contrary to many purveyors of spiritual self-help, I reject the notion that we can become anything we dream of. Not all desires are realistic. You must possess the willingness and ability to begin and to forge ahead on your own. Your age, training, and education matter, as do geography, finances, and time. These are not to be seen as barriers, but they are serious considerations. Surprises do occur. The Caribbean nation of Jacob the Caribbean nation of Jamaica did, in fact, produce an Olympic bobsledding team in 1988, as depicted in the comedy Cool Runnings. And some significant actors did not land the roles for which, for which they became known until middle age. Classically trained actor Jonathan Frid was about to leave the stage and begin working as a drama coach when, at the age of 42, he landed the iconic role of vampire Barnabas Collins on TV's Dark Shadows. You may recall actor Alan Arbus as the psychiatrist Sidney Freeman, Friedman oh, on the acclaimed sitcom M.A.S.H. He got that role at age 55 after working for most of his life as a photographer. So I am not suggesting that you retreat before barriers, but just be cognizant and realistic about where you are, what is required, your willingness, through hard times and good, to see your project through. Do you want to be a professional actor? And do you maturely understand the years of hard-won training and dedication involved? Do you possess the natural talent, physical appearance, grace, and dexterity required? By physical appearance, I do not mean traditional good looks, but a certain something that makes you distinctive. Obviously, Forrest Whitaker comes to mind. Um, Alan Arkin. No, no, no. What was that? What's the guy that played Smeagol. Alright, everyone has something that makes them distinctive. Where was I? Do you have the stomach and resilience for the tears, joys, terrors, and dedication that acting and the audition grind entails? Have you been to professional auditions and seen the competition you are faced with? Are you already doing some or all of this? Have you the means to? Is everything else in your life secondary to this? Then write it down as your goal. Okay, so... This one goes on for a while, so we might not get to all of it today, but just a very good point here, and one I've pointed out several, many, many times before, right? You think you want something, actually, I just, just pointed this out, hold on a second. Just as 
everybody wants to be the millionaire, but they're not really aware of what the responsibilities and skill level it takes to become a millionaire and then stay maintained at millionaire. Uh, it's the same thing for acting, all right? The number of A-list actors that are up there represent such a small number of people that try and go for it and, you know, think they're doing all the right things. Those guys turn themselves into an individual brand. But you see the polished end result. You don't see the years of hearing no. You don't see all the rejection. You don't see all of the missteps that they've taken. You just see the polished end result. Alright, and trust me. They'll be the first people to tell you you've got to develop some thick skin. Because when you hear no in that audition room, you've got to say, okay, and head off to the next one. And not let it get to you. Alright. It's simply a numbers game. Now obviously you have to start with some skill and some talent. And be constantly working on those things in between auditions. But when you're starting out, you'll hear a thousand no's before you hear a yes. That's like the running joke. Even though it's not a joke. All right. And then over time, the number of no's to yes starts to go down and you start getting more success. And then once your name starts to become more known, um, then they start calling you instead of you having to go chase them, which, you know, even farther increases your um, yes to no quotient. And you become more selective, more discerning. You pick projects that you want to go do, and so on. But you have to build up to that, okay? So, when you're framing a goal, when you're thinking of a goal or a focus or something you want to manifest, right? It's fine to go, want to go after these things, but are you really willing to take these things on? Is it that much of a passion for you, or are you just dawdling? Or dabbling? That's why it's so crucial, and why we went over that whole little subchapter on it, why it's so crucial to know exactly what it is you really want, not what other people think they want for you, what do you really want? Alright? And this is one of the biggest... I don't know I want to put this... Biggest issues? People have. Is they're trying to manifest something that they think they want or they believe they should ask for instead of things that are actually fulfilling. Alright. Or they're not willing to put that level of work in and when um, an obstacle shows up along their path of, you know, going forth or whatever it is, uh, they buckle. And then that drives your confidence level down. Oh, my manifesting didn't work. No, manifesting worked fine. You just weren't being honest about what it was you really wanted to manifest. But we don't see that right away, do we? No, we take a hit to our confidence level. Alright, but if you're willing to go through all that, if you're willing to be honest with yourself about what it takes, and it still excites you, and you still feel passion for it, then absolutely go for it. Okay? 
Okay, so returning to the book. In seeking a realistic sense of self-capacity and purpose, I have been guided by a passage from the Talmudic book Ethics of the Fathers. Find that place where there are no men. Go there, and there strive to be a man. This can be read on many levels. Here is one. You must find that place, literally, figuratively, or both, where your real abilities are needed, then go there to do your work. It's a good piece of advice. And if you aren't familiar, he's talking about the Talmud, or the um, Jewish Bible? Somebody please correct me if I'm wrong on that. Alright, so scan your life for areas where you have been especially able to solve things for yourself and others. Where you added to the net output of a product, business, or organization. Where you made a resoundingly well-received point or contributed a concrete improvement to something. Where you lightened a load on others or displayed a trait toward which people gravitated. Those are immensely valuable pieces of information. Just wishing to be a math whiz, an athlete, or an astronaut is insufficient. You must have a unity and integration between your wishes and some vital and develop and some vital and developing capacity within yourself. Something expressive of a role you can fill in life. There must be a concentration of energies and a development of inner capacities, as well as the deeply felt wish. Okay, so he... I'm going to stop it right there before we go any further. This is um, a much more detailed explanation Mr. Dooley was going over in his book. Um, is within infinite possibilities, you have a certain set of probabilities, right? Based on where you're at, what you're doing, what you naturally gravitate towards, you're going to probably find happiness off on this tangent and uh, not that tangent. And Mr. Dooley was sitting there explaining how he could just have also been very good at, what was it, pool cleaning something, irrigation systems, whatever. And he was describing that he was really geeked out by it. Couldn't explain why, but it fascinated him. And he's going off to do some presentation or whatnot in Florida, and he's passing by all these really big houses, and he notices that the biggest house in the entire community is twice the size of the other ones. And he asks the guy he's with, whose house is that? He's like, oh, that's the uh, Florida king of irrigation, or something or other. If you go back through Manifesting Change? Yeah, Manifesting Change, that story's in there. You can go back and look it up for yourself. But, alright, case in point, Mr. Horowitz just put in more detailed terms what Mr. Dooley was saying in more layman's terms. Is that whatever it is you apply yourself with with focus, and you end up manifesting more along that focus, which helps more of your focus, Mr. Uh, Horowitz calls it an aim, a dedicated and singular aim. 
Alright. I just wanted to make that connection real quick. So, we've had... Goodness, we've gone over quite the bit of interesting back and forth today. I'll, I'll be honest, that political um, entrance... I'll admit, it's a bit off-putting. I really don't like including uh, political stuff when I'm talking about this. And I really wasn't expecting to be talking about Vietnam, either. So lots of interesting things today. I don't think it flowed with the rest of what he was trying to sell nearly as well as some of his other insights. Just my personal observation. I get where he was going with it, but I think he could have... I think he could have used a better analogy than the Vietnam... Divide? Yeah, we'll put divide. Because that's... Um, you know, that's millions of consciousnesses then at that point having differences of opinion and clashing with each other rather than displaying the uh, how do I want to say this the opposing factions or factors within one's own mind causing one to become unable to get their manifestation or able to get their manifestation, I feel that one could have been addressed better because I, I think that's an apples to oranges comparison, to be perfectly honest. But I'll leave that to you. You can go back and listen to this as you like. Um, not really sure what else I have to say about that one today. That was a weird one. Okay, go ahead and do a little wiggle and get in a little stretch and we will get our two minute brain break in. let your awareness settle into the space.
and just enjoy the moment. no responsibilities, no place to be, except right here, right now. So, interesting points made today. Definitely not the direction I was expecting it to go in, but uh, that's beauty. You never know. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for participating. Thank you so, so much for your patience. Have a fantastic rest of your evening. This is the podcast, Asaprax. Good night.